moving from one territory to another, the challenge starts all over again. So if I build my territory starting from the UK, serving the UK, Ireland, islands, etc., and I would like to move into the German-speaking country, I will have to develop everything from the ground up. Welcome to the Software Channel Partner Podcast, where you'll hear leaders of partner programs talk about their greatest challenges and most successful solutions. And now your host, Louis Gadima, the president of Revenue and Associates. Welcome to the Software Channel Partners Podcast, where we talk with leaders in software partner programs to learn about what's working today. I'm Louis Gadima, the president of Revenue and Associates, where we help companies grow faster by helping their channel partners grow faster. Today I'm talking with Aaron Rosenblum, who is the Chief Execution Officer of Gainsight in Tel Aviv, Israel. Prior to Gainsight, Aaron held various business development, sales, and channel positions at Symantec, Cisco, NetApp, Elusive Networks, Satera, and was the co-founder of Exatier. Aaron, welcome to the podcast. Hi, Louis. Thanks so much for having me. Glad that you could join us. And, and because we're recording international, uh, you know, there may be a little bit more kind of audio things going on, but uh, I think we'll, we'll have a pretty good conversation today. Israel has a really advanced tech sector, but a very, very small domestic market. So creating channel programs with companies in North America, Europe, and elsewhere in the world is critical. So we're going to be focusing today on how to build a global partner program. But before we get to that, Aaron, please tell me about your career path that brought you to where you are today and, and your interest in channels. Absolutely. So I was born and raised in Israel, not far from Tel Aviv. And like most Israelis, I've walked through the same milestones, you know, graduating high school, serving in the Israeli Air Force, gaining my first degree in engineering, and landing my first job as a system engineer, helping growing and serving channels worldwide. From that point forward, it was obvious that the, the channel will be a big, big part of my career success. It can't be ignored, and it will require a new and evolving set of skills uh, I should hold, whether I'm in the system engineering position, a direct sales role, or building and nurturing the channel ecosystem as a channel manager. Um, I was lucky enough and, and fortunate enough to work for some of the best companies and managers in the tech industry starting with Cisco in both direct and indirect roles, serving service providers, enterprises, and managing both first-tier and second-tier channels, taking channels strategically into new technology domains were one of the most challenging tasks I ever came across. Uh, with NetApp, uh, back in 2006, I had the opportunity to move across to the U.S., building a pure channel engine out of Chicago from the ground up, profiling, recruiting, enabling and growing new territories via diverse channel ecosystems that included SIs, value-added distributors, VARs, consulting firms, and distribution, bringing mostly innovation into the SME and SMB space. Uh, the past couple of years, I've been focusing on startups, taking them into new territories like North America, Europe, and the Far East, uh, penetrating into sectors which required a much smarter and I may say more focused, well-thought approach, asking the tough questions and working on a detailed playbook prior to launching the partner program was my main challenge 
and go. All right, and, and so what does Gainsight do? So Gainsight, so uh, we are a child-focused growth advisory with a single mission in hand. We took on ourselves to assist growth stage companies to put their channel playbooks together while unlocking their channel partner potential. So we all know that the channel landscape changed dramatically over the past couple of years and is still changing, while new sets of channels are emerging and some are becoming obsolete. New business models requires new sets of tools to be used in order to gain market share, understanding the, the customer buying habits and get insight into their customer journey with and without the channel in place. So we believe we can bring value right there. I am kind of aware of the terrific tech sector in Israel, and that's who you're going to be working with, who you are working with. But for people who maybe aren't as aware of it, maybe you could just tell them a little bit about what that's like. I think this is, this is a fascinating world. Uh, we're living in, we have more than uh, 6,000 startups uh, running in parallel in all segments of the markets. Every year, there's probably anywhere from 600 to 700 new additions, new startup additions in various fields. We're leading the game here in many of the, um, you know, the different technology front lines like in cyber, uh, automotive, uh, AIs, etc. And it's, it's really amazing to see how much talent and innovation uh, this market can produce in any given time. There's a lot of smart people around me. A lot of VCs and a lot of big companies uh, like the Cisco's of the world and uh, and many others that are coming here to really tap into this this excellent talent and and develop and gain this access to to the amazing this amazing technology. Being part of it is is really challenging because uh, as you mentioned, Israel is a very small country and the local market is very very limited in terms of their, those companies' capability to sell uh, locally. Every single funder and every single team sales team are trying to think as of the, the first steps of the startups on how to sell their offering and building their value proposition to, to, the, to the rest of the world. When then is the right time for a company to create and expand its channel program? A lot of the people who are listening to this are going to be in North America and Europe, but they're going to have the same questions. When should they create a channel program? When should they uh, really put the, uh, the pedal down to expand that? So where do you think a company has to get to before it can start to use channels? This is a great question, and it really gets into the, the other question that needs to be asked here is, what is my product? Who is my audience? What's the, their, my customer habits or buying habits are? Where should I start bringing my solution and offering into the channel play if i'm looking from from an israel israeli perspective you know we're looking into tapping into the the rest of the world from the very first start looking at um, us based companies or european companies their markets are much larger they have the luxury to get their product market fit and tap into the first couple of logos gaining the first traction in-house with their channel audience, with the MSPs of the world, with the VARs, with the SIs, and have better understanding what 
the value proposition will look like when taking it out of the country. So, so they really, uh, so it sounds like they really have to create a repeatable sales process internally and know what's going to work before they can start to turn to channel partners to help them with the uh, the sales. Uh, of course, that's that's exactly what 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 requires uh, in my mind, and you know, based on my experience with uh, with different startups that I have I have taken out of Israel, those companies really need to to really filterize their value proposition. Who are their they their audience? Who are the influencers? They have to understand the players outside of their comfort zone, meaning, you know, if I will go now into the European Union and starting to build my channel offering, I would would ask myself, which countries should I start with? Looking into those kind of uh, questions really determine on how that will roll, roll out. So, for example... Looking at the European nation, uh, nation, there are 20, 20 different countries. There are different markets with different strengths. Uh, and if you start to look in, in where to start, I will start probably in those countries that the, the language barriers will be the, the, the lowest. Their maturity in terms of the structure, the business structure will be the highest, like the UK, like the Scandinavian countries, like Norway and Sweden. Going down into the uh, the German-speaking countries like the Austrian Germany and Switzerland, and following then by the countries such as Spain, France, and and Italy. You know, in the U.S., we kind of are a little more U.S.-centric than many, you know, certainly than Israel or many European countries are. And so I think we think of English as kind of a universal global business language. Do you find then that in in many countries, that's not the case? You need to localize the language. You need to localize all of your marketing and be using the native languages in those countries. So this is is a great, great insight. And I think the most important things for any company that is looking to tap into Europe or any other geography other than the U.S. really have to look into localization. By I mean localization is to look into the, the different country and how communication is being driven. In my mind, is very important to get people on the ground that really speak the language, that have the connections in place with the channels, that have the ability to bridge the communication gap, the language barrier, to better understand, you know, what motivates those uh, those channels and, of course, the customers, and whether the buying decision is being done in the right order, like in the U.S. or or the Far East, which is very much different as well. You know, you mentioned earlier that there are over 90 functions in the uh, channel program. And, and we're talking really about companies scaling up a channel program here, not companies that already have a really robust global program. But, right. you know, it's something that I often hear in companies where they don't have any experience with partner programs that they're like, oh, we'll just get some partners and that'll make it easy. And, you know, then they can sell for us. And, and they don't realize how complex both setting up and scaling, but also supporting partners is and how much you need to do and, and how much you need to provide to partners to really make them successful. 
so you have to really help your companies that you're working with understand the whole landscape of what's involved in a partner program. Absolutely. It's really about connecting the dots. Uh, you know, I mentioned 90 different operational uh, silos that needs to be put it put together before, in the middle and after while you're managing your partner program. You know, anywhere from the strategy through the design of the program, then to go through uh, finding the right partners and recruit those partners and then to jump into the training part of the program which allow you to enable them and develop the program and attached to it of course then the incentive and what motivates them after that is really about how you sell with your partners do you sell through the partner do you sell with the partner or do you sell to the partner itself uh, so figure out the cost selling uh, and the co-marketing of those companies. And of course, at the end is just to wrap up everything and really manage and having the right insights in order to make your program much more fine and refine those different components that really make a difference from other companies and your competition. There's a huge gap that you have to cross between recruiting a partner and, and making that partner successful and actually having them sell through any significant amount of your product. You were talking before about expanding from territory to territory, and you talked about the UK and Scandinavia and the German-speaking countries. What are some of the issues that companies can expect to encounter and pay attention to as they move into different territories so this is a great question, and I think the challenges falls into a couple of silos. I think the first challenge that all the companies will face moving from uh, one territory to another is really to find the, those partners that will cater their customers and audience. Uh, it's really about to figure out which will uh, will which will be the those partners that will fall into the twenty percent bucket out of the 80-20% rule. It, it's something that takes time. It's time to take a lot of efforts to look into the different set of partners and maybe the distribution as well that really will help you to jump quickly into those territories. Moving from one territory to another, the challenge starts for all over again. So if I build my territory starting from the UK, serving the UK, Ireland, islands, etc. And I would like to move into the German-speaking country, I will have to develop everything from the ground up. And remember that the UK is not yet into, you know, is not part of the, the European uh, community yet, and they're subject to different kinds of laws and different kinds of limitations, uh, mainly in regards to GDPR. Well, you know, that all could change dramatically in the next few months with Brexit. But exactly. basically what you're saying is choose your first few partners very carefully. You know, eventually you may have hundreds or thousands of partners and, and that 80-20 rule will come into play. But when you're starting out, you want to make sure that your first few partners really are going to be committed to your program and, and that they're going to be successful. I agree. I totally agree with that. Most of the times that I have come across starting to build the partner program from ground up will like you to sell alongside with you 
and you know build this type of commitment from both sides understanding you know what motivates the partner and what works for the vendor it's really key to unlocking the potential of this partnership there's a lot of efforts that being put in gaining or taking in the first set of customers together to better understand what the partner's capabilities are what the limitations are you know what needs to be fixed and what needs to be fixed quickly in order to avoid repeating uh, mistakes over and over again. There is no second chance here. And you really have to be very focused on, on the deliverables day in, day out, and making sure that you are completely transparent with your partner in order to allow them to really take in your DNA as a vendor, specifically in small companies like startups or fast-growing companies in later stages. Well, one of the things that I do is I, I mentor startups at MIT, and we always are saying to them, your first few customers, you know, your first 10 or 20 customers or so, you need to provide a level of, of service that is not scalable. Because you, you need to learn so much from them and you need them to be successful to become reference accounts. And it sounds like the same thing on the partner side. You need to have a, a level of interaction and, as you said, joint sales with those first few partners so that they're successful and you're learning from them and you're, you're defining and building your program based on that feedback and what really works to make those first few partners successful. Absolutely, that's the case. When you go from country to country, in, in the EU, I assume the regulations are fairly uniform, but when you go from country to country or territory to territory where they aren't, what kind of legal issues or regulations have you run into that companies have to deal with? I think the number one issue that most companies are facing is you know, whether to build an entity within that country or not. And that really take a toll on, on how your infrastructure in those countries will look like moving forward. Some countries will demand some sort of an entity within the EU, EU which is su sufficient enough for them to do business. Some countries are don't really care and they can pretty much work with any entity beyond the EU. So looking into the GDPR, for example, you know, you have to make sure that in certain countries, your data resides within those countries, right? Uh, your mm -hmm. infrastructure has to be implemented within those countries and you have to follow those rules and you're subject to, you know, different laws and uh, liabilities. So it, it sounds like you either are going to have to do a, a huge amount of research or you're going to have to use someone with a, a lot of international channel experience who, who understands what those regulations and issues are in the different territories that would make yeah, your it, it makes, work much it, faster to, right. to have it make, that. It makes sense to do that, although there is a lot of master agents that can assist uh, you know, those companies to start their operation within those countries of uh, become a buffer right, for those companies while they're starting to look into business, different business models and business relationship with local channels. And of course, if they decide to do direct sales. So, so there are different, and I guess the world is, is really very dynamic and extremely sufficient on, on that end 
and can provide you with different sort of solutions that can help you kind of uh, actually closing that gap. So what's the biggest lesson? What should a company, what's the, what's the number one thing that a company should keep top of mind when it starts to build an international channel? Or what's the biggest mistake that it needs to avoid that you've seen? You know, there's there's a lot of potholes that you can uh, you can fall into. I think the most important thing is, of course, uh, to do less mistakes than your competitors. I think the number one thing that you need to take out of it is to playwright your operational operational cost and operational management within those uh, there those territories. You can go into one territory or another and experience completely different type of engagement and success levels. It doesn't mean that if you go into another territory, you will face the same consequences or the same the same outcomes. And I think you have to remember that, you know, going into those new territories takes time. It takes time and it takes a lot of efforts, both on the operational side and on the sales side as well. So those companies need to understand that starting something from scratch really requires a lot of thinking and perseverance. And you have to make sure that everything is falling into the, 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 right, the right places while you're moving forward from acquiring the first set of channels, going through the enablement phase, and of course, at the end, looking into capturing the first set of customers. Yeah, we're getting near the end. What haven't I asked you about that I should have asked you? Yeah, what, what keeps you up at night or what keeps your clients up at night? I, I think what, what really wakes me, wakes, wakes me up at night is, and of course my customers, is how fast the channel landscape has changed over the past couple of years. I think most of those founders and CEOs are looking into their market and seeking ways to find a new set of channels that will work for them and get them into the right audience. It's amazing to see that there is a, that there's a real gap between how the vendor perceive their market and how the channel perceive their market as well. And sometimes those two views of market does not correlate with one another. That means that there's, there's a, a need for someone and professionals to come in and close that gap and making sure that those vendors are tapping into a new set of, of channels that are embracing, for example, the, uh, the gear economy, the cloud economy. They have to understand that they have to use uh, different tools to assist them in order to get to the market quicker, faster, bringing a lot of automation into those processes and making sure, again, that their voices be heard within the channels and that the channel understand the DNA of the vendor. So how do you keep up? The business world is changing so rapidly, the cha including channels, as you just said. What blogs, podcasts, events, books, and so on do you use to keep up? You know, in order to, uh, uh, to really build up my knowledge and gain access to great insights within my community, 
I I read a lot of books. One of those books is Making Making Channel Sales Works, which is a fantastic books that book that really really tapped into how to build your channel, what to anticipate, what are the challenges are, how to really build a good foundation for your channel program. Other yeah, books, that's uh, that's Marcus Kauke. Absolutely. Yeah, and he's been a he's been a guest on the podcast. That is a terrific book. It's a terrific book, which I like it very much, and I really embrace it. There's other books that I've read recently. One of them is uh, Blueprints uh, for SaaS Sale Organization, which uh, it's an amazing book that look into how to build your SaaS organization from ground up. And who's, who's that by? It's by Fernando Pizarro and uh, Jacob Vander. Could if I pronounce right? It's a fantastic book that really, really uh, bring great insight on how to build uh, your next uh, SaaS uh, sales and channel models. You might uh, enjoy also. I don't know if you spend much time on Twitter. I, I waste far too much time there, but I have a, a list of a few dozen channel thought leaders you might enjoy on my Twitter account too. Aaron, how can people get in touch with you? Well, that's easy. You can simply go into LinkedIn and find my profile or email me into my private email, which is around at uh, gainside.io. All right. Well, thank you for joining us today, Aaron. And thank you all for listening. If you're listening to this on Apple Podcasts, Google, Spotify, or another app, and you found the podcast interesting, and useful, please leave a review. That will help other people learn about it too. Thanks for listening to the Software Channel Partner Podcast, and please subscribe and listen to future episodes.